Hey, Jim. Hi, Tracy. Today, I want to just talk without any guests. Is that okay? Sure, yeah. All right. So, Little Things First podcast, and we're talking about little things, and I have really been grappling, I'm going to use the word grappling, with professional development for teachers. And I want to talk about, one, how bad teacher professional development can be, and then talk a little bit about what what have you seen, and I want to tell you something that kind of was really inspiring for me uh, in a meeting that I had a couple days ago. So PD, as we talk in teacher speak. PD. Hmm. PD, right? So as a new, you know, a principal in a new building, Mm -hmm. have you been doing your PD? What have you done? So it was kind of interesting because at this particular school, we didn't really start out with the traditional PD. We did um, we did a welcome back, and it was more inspiring, you know, kind of raw, raw, yeah. raw. Yeah. And I think that was really good. It was a district wide mm-hmm. kind of um, kind of approach. Um, I have always really tried to, I mean, I've never felt like there was enough time for professional learning in a school. And I actually have tried to call it professional learning now because that's kind of, I think, the move rather than using the word professional development. Yeah. But um, I have always felt like I needed to embed it into like faculty meetings, for example, because trying to move away from, you know, announcements that could be sent to people over email and trying to really focus on how can we maximize the time that when we're together for Mm -hmm. some professional learning from one another. However, I have found that sometimes teachers are a little resentful of that. So I'm not sure if that's the best approach. Well, the history they have with PD, so to speak, has not always been favorable. Um, so, okay, let me tell you what happened a couple of days ago in a, okay, in a yeah, meeting. Please. Okay, so just to kind of let people know, I used to be a principal up until about six weeks ago, and I've recently moved into a state level position where I am working with schools and school improvement. And it, I sat in on a meeting and we're looking at ways that we can create opportunities for teachers to get their endorsement to work with English learners. And there were, in this meeting, it's all virtual, the meeting, but in this meeting there were representatives from different districts who are using different tools and different models to try to get their teachers to be endorsed in working with English learners. And of course, this is a growing group of students in our state. And, you know, we, we need to find ways to make sure that they are learning, that they're being served, that they are being successful. So this is the underlying, you know, message about the the meeting. So I'm mostly just listening because I'm not that specialist. I'm not the one that's an expert. But what I really, really loved was listening to these districts talk about all the things that they've been doing a little differently to try to help their teachers get their endorsement. And there was one model in particular, and this was for a, a charter school. And this charter school has created a way for the teachers to identify their own learning goals and they 
kind of create their own learning plan, all based on competencies. So there's like this list of competencies that's around the TESOL and about around WIDA and about what we know are, according to the state, identified as, as key factors in working with English learners. So each individual teacher is creating their own personalized plan. And then they are sort of venturing out to try to reach the goal that they have. And it was inspiring because these teachers did things that were, were just remarkable and things that never would have happened if it would have been some of the similar experiences I've had in the past where we show up, we listen to someone speak, they give us their lecture about this, we take notes, and then we have a quiz. So is this in place of like um, ESL endorsement classes? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So instead of a class, you set a goal and you do a project related to that goal, and then you, I guess, have some kind of an outcome product or... Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and... And they are meeting on a regular basis, so they meet weekly, this community of learners, with each with their own goal, and they are sharing with each other what they've learned and what they're struggling with and what their next steps are and how they're going to try. So one, one of the most powerful things is the facilitator herself is going through this same process, has her own goal. And when they sort of like throw their goals out and put them on the table, nobody really knows what the answer is going to be about how to reach that goal. So these are also not just like little willy-nilly goals. These are like life-changing, practice-changing kind of goals. Wow. And, and, it, and it was so cool. In fact, one of the things that this person was sharing with us about that weekly meeting, it was set up to be 30 minutes, and the teachers were like, no, we have to have more time this year. Wow. We can't just have 30 minutes. We have to have at least an hour. That's now, great. when was the last time that we had professional development and people were like, please, no, we want more <laughs> we don't time. Want it to end. No, no, no. We don't hear that very often. <laughs> yeah. That's great. Isn't that isn't that cool? And I mean, there were some things, so like with an example of one person's journey was she wanted to know what it was like to be a newcomer. And so she actually traveled to another country and I think she took a like a camper or something. <laughs> and drove to uh, Mexico or someplace in South America. I don't even know, actually, to be honest with you. But she went there, and she lived there as a person who did not know the language at all mm. so that she would know what it was like to be a newcomer. So do they have any data about this professional learning model? Like, I mean, is it, does, it, does it have positive outcomes as far as English language learners are concerned? Yeah, well... And this is from the Learning Policy Institute, this quote, and and yes. And so they are looking at ways that this model is actually impacting the EL's performance. And the quote from the Learning Policy Institute, which I love, defines professional development as structured professional learning that results in changes in teacher practices and improvements in student learning outcomes. I mean, that's another really important piece that we just haven't been doing that. We have not been connecting the learning that teachers have to do 
with actually student outcomes. No, we don't. Well, not well we at all. say we do, kind of. Yeah. But we're not measuring it. Right. Teachers, we often leave uh, professional learning and we go back to our classrooms and maybe implement an idea or two, but it's not tracked. We don't track yeah. it very well. So, yeah, yeah, I would be very curious to see how what kind of an impact this has all had. Yeah. Well, here's a Have question. They, has, has it reached that point, or is it still kind of in process where they're collecting some of that data and trying to figure no, they, out the efficacy? they've had of, huge changes. And, in fact, I think that I saw – I think it was this same school. Is this in, in Utah or mm -hmm. is it? Oh, it is. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. There were two schools in particular that had shared, and I think maybe it wasn't this school. It might, it might have been the, the other school. This The second pr presenter was a district. And one thing that struck me was that they had 93% of their English learners graduate. Wow. They were the highest in the state. Wow. I mean, how much of a of an impact is that on a family and on a student when they finish and get their high school degree, and what an impact it is if they don't get right. their high school degree, right? right? So here's a question for you, though. When you think about your own, you you've been in the business for a while, <laughs> yeah, right. So what what are memories that you have of a positive experience as a, in professional development? Hmm. Positive experience with professional development. It shouldn't take you that long. Well, to I'm kind of weird. <laughs> I'm kind of weird because I like the traditional professional development. Like I like a lecture. I like a good lecture, just listening to it. And sometimes I, when I've been in a professional development and somebody makes me like move around and do things that I know are good pedagogy, I just, you know, I was, I don't want to do it. I'm like, I just want to sit in my chair and I want to listen Why? and I want to take those. Why? I don't Why know. Why do you want to sit? That's kind of my personality, I guess. So how does it impact let's go back to that quote how does that impact your teacher practice well i mean i don't Did know it? i mean that was, that's a good question i i feel like like i really was a good student because i liked that kind of thing like i liked going to classes i liked well i do enjoy discussions you know that is pretty interactive i like that as part of professional development so i would like like reading an article and then coming into class and discussing it but um yeah i mean as, as a facilitator of professional learning, I sometimes ask audiences to do things that I personally would hate because, they, you know, I hear that it's like good practice. Okay, so, here's a question then. Let's say that you're in a professional development and someone actually makes you move around. Yeah. After it's over, are you glad you did it? Um, yeah, sometimes. I mean, but what you described sounds really powerful because it sounds like you're kind of networking with this group of people and it becomes this community of learners yeah. that is consistent yeah. over time. It's like a cohort. And yeah. uh, you're really, you're, you're addressing real issues, real, real problems yeah. and trying to move the needle on those. And the application is like the next morning. In your class. I love that too. Yeah. Right? Right. Okay, so now that we know you really like lectures. <laughs> I do. Which is not the right answer, by the way, Jim. I should I have screened that before I even asked I you. I know. It's so weird. <laughs> like, I do. I like that. Okay, so how about this question? When you're thinking about professional development, either as a learner or as a leader, what do you consider to be, you know, Good professional development. 
What, what are what is it that we are doing that we would want to continue doing? Well, I think good professional development has an outcome, a positive outcome on student learning. Have you ever been in professional development where that's been tracked? No, I don't. And even even good what I consider to be good professional learning, like coaching, um, we don't do a good job of tracking the results of that. You know, teachers who are receiving coaching, how is that impacting their practice? What kinds of results? I think that when uh, I was an instructional coach, um, there was an effort to do that. But then it becomes really complicated. We have some, had some really good conversations as coaches, like, we were trying to tie the results of our work with yeah. teachers to outcome data, but it was really hard to connect that. So, okay, I go into a classroom and I'm helping a teacher with um, engagement, let's say. Yeah. And um, because the teacher wants to work on engagement. And uh, when we're all done, we look at math exit tickets and the scores went up. Can I really say that it was because of my role as a coach mm-hmm. uh, that that math data went up? Or, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, it's really hard to show causation yeah and so um you know we struggled with that i struggled with that i struggled you know i collected the data like i was supposed to said we were working on this standard this was our pre-test data this was our post-test data but i could never ever feel confident that it was my role in the classroom that contributed to that right um or our relationship let's put it that way in the classroom so yeah. But yeah, so I think it's hard. I think the reason why it doesn't get done is because it's challenging to collect that kind of data. Mm-hmm. Unless you're a researcher. Well, and even then, I think that people have had some trouble. I'm looking right now because there was an article I was looking at um, that was reviewing. Yeah, so this one is an article called Reviewing the Evidence on How Teacher Professional Development Affects Student Achievement. And I'm trying to see who actually, I think it's McRell. Um, hmm. and, and I was thinking, wow, we've just never really even asked that question very much before. So they actually took different studies and research. Um, it's Nope, it's from the National Center for the Educational for Education Evaluation and Regional Assistance, the IES, and it is the REL Southwest Group. Okay, we'll have to link that from our yeah um, yeah from so our website. That was one of the few places where I saw them actually dig in and try to find evidence based practices, which is what we have to do now when we're talking about turnaround schools and looking at different kinds of ways that money and budget decisions are made. Um, so so here's here's one thing that sort of prompted me. I I was going to try to put together write an article on professional development and uh I was I was just doing some reading, right, of different articles, different different blogs, different places where people had put together the TNTP project, things like that. They've got a new publication out and um it it was kind of interesting because I started off with like, okay, okay, here's the three. And I was trying to like build a framework for my article. Here's the three P's. And then I kind of was continuing. I was like, oh, no, no, no. Here's here's the four P's. And then I'd be The four P's of professional and, development? Uh-huh. And oh, then okay. I was like, no, 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 no. I, here's the five P's. <laughs> okay. What so, are your five P's? <laughs> so, I'm so, so then I'm like, okay, I got to stop. 
there's too many bees as it is. I, I can't go anymore, <laughs> right? So so I don't even know. that. I want to know your feedback, but here's what I was thinking about, and it actually triggers from Culture of Pedagogy. Is her name Jennifer Gonzalez, I think? And um, Oh, yeah, the Cult of Pedagogy. Cult yes. of Pedagogy, uh-huh. thank you. And uh, she has an article or a blog post, podcast, that she's talked about um, PD, and she's like, OMG, Becky, PD is so awesome, or something like that is the name of the title. I should I should have that at the ready. <laughs> but uh, she talks about all the different ways that professional development has evolved. Most of it teacher like led or teacher prompted. Teachers themselves, despite what the districts are doing, despite what their building is doing, they're kind of like going rogue on their own and building their own professional development kind of possibilities, if you will, and and creating their own learning. Now, that is a sad state of affairs if teachers have to, on their own, build their own learning. Because they can't get it because they aren't finding districts. it. Yeah, yeah, okay. They aren't finding it. So that kind of started me on the P, uh, finding the P's uh, process, because I was like, oh, yeah, I can see there's so many great patterns here that are evolving about what people wanted. So, okay, here's here's my, my P's, all right? Purpose, and I should I'm try not to spit in the microphone. <laughs> right. Purpose, possibility, persistence, people, and progress. Okay, so what, what does each P kind of flesh it out a little bit? Okay, so at first I was looking at purpose because how many times have we sat in professional development and we're like, ugh, this has nothing to do with me. I teach reading uh, to third graders, and this is really talking about uh, management of, I don't know, statistical analysis, and maybe there's a little tie-in, but right, uh, there's so many times when we've been forced into a professional development opportunity that has very little to do. Now, usually reading and math and science are almost always included in that because those are tested subjects. But if you're like a business teacher, right? Is it really serving your needs to help you become a better business teacher? Well, and even if you even if you teach that subject, yeah. it may not fit your yeah. needs because it maybe you already know it. Or, yeah. Right. You're yeah. a new teacher and they're way over your head mm-hmm. or maybe they're uh, teaching to the new teachers and you've been around that block and you are at a much different level. So to me, purpose is much more about that just-in-time like learning, right? Something that feeds you right now that you can turn and use in your classroom immediately. And it's something that actually really applies to the work that you're doing. And, and the truth is, I think if you don't have any of the other things, but at least you have the purpose, it's meaningful for you, it applies to your classroom, it's something that you can try and use right away, and it helps you help your kids that one to me is non-negotiable, right? And I think there's been lots of times we've asked people, we don't, there's an Ed Week article, we don't respect teachers enough to make sure that the professional development, professional learning we are having them do really relates to what they're working on. Mm. Um, So to me, some of the others might be a little more negotiable, but this one I was like, why bother? If it doesn't have to do anything with my classroom, why am I even here? And mm-hmm. that is so frustrating. Teachers already feel so overwhelmed. 
for them to be in that situation. And I, I, as a principal, I did the same thing. I often, you know, just kind of went along with the party line. The district says we have to do this, so we have to do this, and then we would do this training, or you have to show up. And now I'm just mad at myself. What if you think that teachers really need it, but they don't see the relevancy of it? Well, I mean, obviously the purpose is not there, right? But what if, you know, like let's say it's on teacher clarity and yeah. we know teacher clarity has a high effect size. We've talked about it with some of our guests and teachers are like, I don't see the relevancy of this. Mm-hmm. I don't want to do it. So what do you do then? Well, that goes to my second P. How convenient okay. oh, that you wow. asked that. What a segue. I didn't even that know. Was, that was perfect. Okay. So the second Another one. Another P. Perfect. Perfect. The second one I had is possibility. And for me, that's really about choice. So if you have to do something like teacher clarity, everyone's going to be at slightly different levels. There are some maybe must do's, right? Within that learning, everybody has to leave this professional learning with this and this, these two pieces. But you allow teachers choice about how they're going to look at that teacher clarity, either by seniority, either by experience, or by content level, or by, you know, with colleagues who are at the same grade level. Or maybe even there's other frameworks that allow teachers to choose which of the trainings, which of the sessions they're going to attend based on their own interests and their own, you know, experiences and positions that allow them to have a little say on what they want to focus on around something like teacher clarity. So some teacher agency there. Yeah. As because to how we, that, yeah. Well, we say that all the time with kids, give kids choices, but we are not very good about giving teachers choices. Do you think that has to do with like capacity or is it just our, um, it, is it our will? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So like, do we, are we really like denying teacher agency because we feel like they shouldn't have it? Or is it because, you know, we just don't have the capacity to be able to offer five different yeah. strands of a professional development that fits the, the experiences of all teachers? I, I would probably say it's more about will that I think that if we really set our mind to it, we could find teacher leaders, we could find experts, we could find people who are willing, even if they aren't experts, to be facilitators to help that dialogue move as long as you've got, you know, real understanding about what the must-dos are. Uh, it reminds me of when you and I attended that ed camp, which is one of those professional learning sure. situations where teachers have created their sort of unconference, right? They don't have an agenda ahead of time. They don't have like guaranteed speakers ahead of time other than maybe one or two. And then when people show up at this ed camp, they say, here's what I want to learn about. They sort of like stick all these sticky notes up on the board and then they figure out where the patterns are and then they figure out who the experts are that are there. And then they sort of connect the experts with the people who want to learn it. And then they do all of that and end up having a conference that was designed that morning. And after an hour of organization and planning, now they've got a conference that exactly fits the needs of what people were looking for when they showed up that morning. Yeah. I remember when we talked to Jared Covili from UEN, uh, Utah Education Network, and he, um, he talked about at camps, yeah, and then we went to one. You know, it was really yeah. And we interviewed teachers at the ed camp, exactly for so, our podcast, exactly. So now, if you're thinking about your, you know, the model, everybody's got to learn teacher clarity. We'll say you could create it in an ed camp kind of model where you identify some facilitators who are going to help the dialogue and the learning. And there's some pieces that really feed certain expectations that people have to walk away with. 
in their understanding, but there's lots of flexibility about the kinds of groupings and focus areas. Mm. Um, anyway, so that's, that's the second one. I think choice needs to be, mm-hmm, be part of that. Mm-hmm. A third one is the idea of persistence. And this is trying to get away with the one and done idea, right? Mm. So the idea that you, if you really want to have behavioral change, you have to have an accountability partner or you have to have somebody who's going to show up and is going to ask you about it. So when you were a coach and if you were helping somebody with engagement, you would go back, right? Right. You'd, the you'd whole check idea in. is it's ongoing, yeah. Yeah, ongoing, continues, that uh, you get feedback. And and I might say in that persistence as well that it's going to be smaller chunks, Right, mm-hmm. so that you're focusing on whatever that next baby step might be, and helping you in the one area that you're working on. Um, but we've got to have that follow up. It can't be just like one big giant welcome meeting with this instructor, and then we never address it again because we get busy and we forget, and and we don't really address it. What do you think about that? I think that's really really great i mean really important um which is why coaching is has caught on so well um i have kind of two thoughts about it i think that people love to put on conferences and actually i think a lot of teachers i think they make money yeah and i i think just the process of planning a conference is kind of fun Mm -hmm. and so we still continue to do it even though there's really nothing to show that it makes a huge difference but then um i think I think actually educators like to attend conferences. I like going to conferences yeah. and they they are kind of the antithesis of what you're talking about yeah. because it's just but one why? and done. Why do you like it? You like it because of the networking with yeah. people. You get to see people and, and you get to meet like there's experts. There's choice. There's choice. Mm-hmm. Um, and you get to usually travel. Mm-hmm. Right? You're away from your normal learning, teaching, day job, whatever that might be. Um, so I don't think that that we want to throw those out. So they could be a good kickoff kind of thing, but if you don't have that persistence piece, that follow-up coaching, it's mm-hmm. it's hard to really impact teacher action, principal action that impacts student learning, right? Right, right. So now well, that- my second thought though about yes. that was, um, what are I mean? Have teachers embraced coaching? I mean, what have you seen as far as? That because coaching is, I think, probably the model that we have that is closest to yeah. your five Ps here. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I've seen some teachers really love it and embrace it, and other teachers not. And yet, all of those Ps seem to be in place, right? Or no? Yeah. Well, I think you're jumping to my number five P. Oh, okay. But we're not even to four. We better keep. That's going. okay. We can go to number five. Number five is progress. So if you're really going to be involved in that coaching, hopefully you've had choice. Hopefully you have kind of little bite-sized chunks that's going to be kind of ongoing, right? Hopefully you're going to have some uh, purpose that's going to be really applicable to the work you're doing. And to me, you have to feel like you're making progress. You have to have a way to measure that it's getting better. Otherwise, you feel like it's just I, for me anyways, it feels like it's just busy work. If I really can't see that it's helping my kids do better on their assessments, or if I can't really see that it's helping my kids become better writers or, you know, United States 
government students and having a broader understanding. I don't know. Why? Why would I do it then? If it so doesn't maybe, matter what kids are doing, if they're if it doesn't help me get better to help them get better. So we need to be able to measure that progress along the way. So maybe there's um, this feeling that coaching isn't really making a difference for some teachers. They're not feeling the benefit. Well, you you mentioned it earlier when we just said with coaching and you tried to measure whether coaching right. mattered. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that teachers feel that they could tell you either because we haven't, we haven't built in a tracking tool. Yeah. And sometimes we have to have that outcome, that like growth to be able to show I am making, you know, progress towards where I want to be. So if we gave them choice, so they had a goal and now we're helping them see how much closer they're getting to the goal or if they've met their goal, right? Then that might feed them and they may be embracing that coaching. But if the coaching is put on us because we have to do it, well, we've taken away the choice. Maybe we've taken away the purpose and we get into this place where, yeah, I can't tell whether it matters or not. Mm -hmm. So it's just sort of like a long extended version of one big giant PD Mm -hmm. that we used to kick the year off with. So Anyways, my last P. Which is actually your fourth P. My fourth P. You're right. <laughs> in, in the order that I've put them. But it, really, they, they all belong. And that's people. So I've noticed, like, I finished some um, training on early literacy skills. And it was kind of a distance learning model. And it was involved in reading and watching some videos. And then you had some work you had to do. And you had to do some um, assessments. And when I did it by myself, it did not stick. But when I had a partner who did the learning with me and reviewed with me and actually did some of the like study with me, it was 10 times better for me because I could bounce ideas off and what do you think of this? So I really feel like you can't learn completely and have professional learning and professional development without the people piece that we have to have that be interactive. Can't be just someone who's talking at us or that we're just watching a video and doing a quiz. Cause then it, you know, then it's just in that isolation and it's, it's short-sighted, I think. So what, what do you think about my... I, I, I've had a lot of passion about this recently. And I, <laughs> it looks like it. That sounds like a great model. I like the five Ps. Do you? I love things that are easy to remember like that. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that um, PD has been around for so long, and I just don't know why... I mean... We know so much more about quality professional learning for adults. Mm-hmm. I just don't know why it hasn't happened mm-hmm. more frequently. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think we're going to have to push ourselves a little bit. Yeah. yeah, I do think, I mean, coaching is much more universal now than it maybe was five, ten years ago. Um, but, yeah, it's interesting to see that we're still kind of, that's one of the vestiges of the past that we were having a hard time breaking away from. Grappling. Yeah, or grappling. Okay, well, enough. This is enough. We've got enough conversation in here. We can't really solve it, but I'm going to end with my five Ps. 
for PD. Oh, I love it. Okay. A review. A review. Mm-hmm. Purpose, make sure it's meaningful, just-in-time training. Possibility, making sure that they have choice and options. Persistence, we want to have that coaching and that cycle of kind of feedback and accountability. People, nobody wants to learn in isolation. It doesn't stick. And then progress. We have to make sure that we're tracking, that we're getting better, just to feed ourselves and give us sort of inspiration for more. That sounds like an article. Copyright Tracy Van Deventer. Copyright Tracy. Don't so steal it because yeah. I'm going to try and I think we need an it. infographic. <laughs> okay, okay. I'll work on it. All right. All right, everyone. Have a great rest of your week. Yeah, it's so good to talk with you. And, you know, Jim, thanks for taking time just to talk to me. Yeah, you bet. Right. Always. It's always enlightening. All right. Enjoy. Enjoy.